Testing. Okay, once again, praise the Lord, saints. It's good to be in the house of the Lord another time, isn't it? I greet you once more in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. Those online and those in the house of the Lord, it's just good to be in the house of the Lord today. It's just good to be gathered in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today. Now, we're here today to learn of the Lord. He has commanded us to search the scriptures, for in them we think we have life, eternal life. And there they which testify of him. The word of God says, Study to show yourselves approved unto God as workmen that need it not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. The yoke refers to the teachings of Christ. Which represents as being light in comparison with the burdensome teachings of the Pharisees. As Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4 says, They bind every burden and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulder. But they themselves will not move them. With one of their fingers. Jesus says, Ye shall find rest unto your souls. These words are taken from Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, which says, Ye shall find purification unto your souls. And is corrected by Matthew to the original meaning in the Hebrew, which is easy. It means easy. These are easy, these are kind words that God wants us to take unto ourselves. He wants us to learn of Him. So here we are today, in His presence. Not just to praise Him, but to learn of Him. Amen? So at this time, let's all just stand together. And we can go to the Lord in prayer. Pray today that God will give us the wisdom to do all that He has commanded us to do. Pray today for our new converts. That the Lord will fill them with His Spirit. So that they too may walk worthy of his calling. They too might be filled with the knowledge of him in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Pray today for those who are sick. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. Remember, the peace of Jerusalem. It's very important that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As scripture says, it's good and it's pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. Help us today, Lord God, to be united. Pray that the Lord will help us to be united, to be in one accord in all that we do, so that we can receive his blessings. Amen? Almighty oh, God, ever-loving Father, in faith we call upon you another time, Lord God. Lord, you are our strength and you are our shield. You are the rock of our salvation, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're high and lifted up. You're exalted, almighty oh, God. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You are the King of glory. You are the Lord God Almighty. Blessings and honor, glory and power be to you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, there's none like you. There's none besides you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are holy. You are holy. You are the Lord God Almighty. And we worship you. We adore you, Lord Jesus. Oh, precious Savior in faith, we come before your throne of grace 
another time, looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith and of our salvation. Lord God, we come in faith, Almighty God, looking to you for your guidance and your directions in all that we do. Oh, Lord Jesus, touch our hearts, touch our minds today, Almighty God. Lord, we ask in faith that you renew your right spirit in us today. Oh, mighty God, give us a fresh anointing today that we may receive all that you have in store for us. Lord Jesus, open our understanding. Oh, Lord God, in faith we pray that you touch the hearts and minds of our new converts, oh, mighty God. Show them the way everlasting and help them to walk in it. Fill them with your sweet spirit, Lord Jesus. Oh, mighty God, help them to understand, oh, mighty God, that without your spirit there are none of his, oh, mighty Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, have your way, Almighty God, and let your perfect will be done in their lives. Open their understanding, Almighty God. Lord, in faith we pray, Almighty God, that you help them to submit themselves unto you, Almighty Father. Help them, Lord God, to be willing to learn from you, Almighty God. Lord, in faith we look to you for your guidance and your directions in this service today. Touch every heart that's gathered here today, Almighty Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, in faith we look, Almighty oh, oh, God, asking, Almighty oh, Father, that you help us, Almighty oh, God, to love you with all our heart, love you with all our mind. Help us to love one another out of a pure heart today, Almighty oh, God. Bind us together with cords of love that cannot be broken. Help us, Almighty oh, God, to build up one another, that the world may know that we are your disciples. Almighty oh, God, help us to trust in you with all our heart and lean not unto our own understanding. Help us in all our ways to acknowledge you that you may direct our path. Oh, Abba, Father, have your way. We pray in faith, Almighty God, that you reach out and touch the man of God today. As he minister to your people, Lord, we ask that you open his understanding, give him the wisdom, the knowledge, and the understanding to feed the flock of God, which you have purchased with your own precious blood. Lord, help him to remember all the things that you have prepared for us, Almighty Father. That he may teach us, Almighty God, that we may continue to grow in grace and in knowledge of you. Oh, Abba, Father, have your way in the service today, and let your perfect will be done. Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh, Lord, we honor and adore you. Blessed be your holy name, Lord Jesus. And we give you thanks today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Come on, it's a Thursday night. We are here for Jesus. I'm sorry. Wednesday night. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it. Come on, clap your hands tonight. I'm chasing after you, no matter what I have to do, cause I need you more and more. I'm chasing after you, no matter what I have to do, cause I need you more and more. I'm chasing after you, no matter what I have to do. Cause I need you more and more I'm chasing after you No matter what I have to do Cause I need you more and more More and more 
More and more. 
I don't know about you, but I'm chasing after Jesus. I'm trying to be what he wants me to be. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, I want to be what you want me to be, Lord. I want to be what you want me to be, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand all that you've called me to be, but I will keep chasing after you. I will keep following you. And, oh, God, just so I can be what you want me to be. More and more, we got to chase after Jesus. Oh, God, we thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your unfailing love. We serve an awesome God. I don't know, that, that song really ministered to me tonight. I don't know if it's because of how I feel about the lesson that we've been talking about for the past um, seven weeks. And we're going to take it all the way up to 12 weeks. So we have five more weeks to go in talking about making disciples. We have to get it. I can't tell you how much I feel strongly about this. It's what's going to make the difference in your life and the life of so many people is when you commit your life to saying, I'm going to be a maker of disciple or a disciple maker for Jesus Christ. It's going to make the difference. And somehow we need to seek the Lord in such a way to say, God, I want to make disciples for you. And I might not have all what I need to do it, which may not be true, but you can state that to him. But God, I want to make disciples. I want to make a difference because I know if I am doing that, my life is worth something. I can say that I gave my life to something. Everybody is living their life, and the question is we need to ask ourselves, what are we living our life for? And we'll get to a place where we'll talk about this tonight as to why we're living our life. What are we living our life for? And I want to live my life for the way, for the reason it was designed to live and not just live it the way I think it's supposed to be. <laughs> so the, 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 the Sister Hasker spirit was still lingering. I have Sister Wyatt talking about Thursday night. We, we, we got to get rid of that Thursday night spirit. <laughs> we got to get rid of that Thursday night spirit so we can get the Wednesday night spirit back in into the house of God. Amen. Everybody say Thursday night. I get it. Thursday night has been... Thursday night for many years, eight years. Yeah, a lot of Thursdays, that's right. That's a lot of Thursdays. And now we switch to Wednesdays, and we're trying to get accustomed to it. But we'll get there. Amen. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. It's a Wednesday night, and we're gathered together in person and via live stream. We greet our congregation that is that has joined us via live stream. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God tonight. I don't know. From I've been <coughs> studying and looking at the Scriptures, I just feel, I don't know, this lesson has kind of really taken me over. And so we are on Lesson 7, and we are still talking about making disciples. 
In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, the word of the Lord says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, Yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is strong language where Jesus is saying, if any man come to me. This is almost a conflict here in your understanding, and we need to make sure we understand it, because if someone asks you what does that mean, I thought Jesus is the God of love, how is he going to tell you? If you're going to follow him and be like him, you need to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, and brethren, and sisters, and even your own life to be his disciple. That's what he's saying. He says in verse 27, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so those are strong language. The first thing I want to clean up is when he says, if any man will come after me, he must hate. That word hate is strong. But what Jesus is really saying is that you have to love me more than you love your mother. You have to love me more than you love your father. You have to love me more than you love your wife. You have to love me more than your children. You have to love me more than your brothers and your sisters. And you have to love me even more than you love your own life. This is what he is saying. And I remember David said to the Lord in one of, I don't remember what part of the Old Testament, um, David and the Lord was having a discussion and David told the Lord, I love you more than I love life. And for those of us that don't understand these kind of words, these strong words, what David was saying in essence, when you get to know God, you understand he's the giver of life. Think about that. He came in the New Testament and say, I'm the resurrection and the life. So we know he's the giver of life. And so why would I like the life, love the life, that he has given me more than I love him. When he can give me life over and over and over and over and over again. You see the psychology behind it? That if you love him more than you love life, you are in a good place. Some of us might look at that and say, ah, that's, that's, that's not reasonable. But the bottom line is, you have one life to live. And you can live that life for what you want it to be, or you can live that life for Christ. And we'll get into that some more because there's a whole lot of, uh, of understanding to that. Uh, we're still talking about making disciples. We're on lesson uh, number seven. And um, as I mentioned, we have five more lessons to go. But tonight's theme of the lesson of making disciples, will, will, will the subtitle will be the price of discipleship. The price of discipleship. You know... We all like to say, and, we, and it's true, that we don't have to buy salvation. The Lord 
didn't put a price tag and say, hey, you want to get saved, you got to pay $1,000. You want to get saved, you know, you have to give me 10% of what you own and what you have. He never put money on your salvation. He never put a price tag on it. But because we got wrapped up in this life, because we got wrapped up in sin, it looked like it's a price that we have to pay when the time come from us, for us to walk away from the things that we were so accustomed to, the things that we love so much. It was our own doing while we got caught up in those things. And so now it becomes a price we have to pay. But if we would have just started out living right, serving the Lord, we wouldn't have to pay a price because life will just be what it is, which is in Christ. But because we started out living outside of the will of God and, and we, we built up so much of living outside of the will of God, that now that we got saved, giving up what we have accumulated, living outside of the plan of God becomes the payment. But you're not paying for salvation. Jesus didn't just preach great messages and teach profound truths to his disciples on Sundays and Wednesdays. I think we know those things, but we got to bring them to the forefront sometimes to really understand what are we doing with the life that we call the Christian life? What are we doing with living for God? Because Jesus did not introduce this thing to us so we can come to a building on Sundays and Wednesdays. His goal was not to be, a, be popular or for them to like him. He was not satisfied by drawing a big crowd, working a few miracles, feeding the crowd, and sending them home with a warm, fuzzy feeling in their heart. That's not what he wanted to do. Did he do those things? He did. But that was not his ultimate goal. He placed a demand on his disciples to reproduce the same disciple-making practice he had demonstrated with them. Hmm. Listen to me. We must teach, learn, and live the whole Bible, not just the portions of it we like. I'll say that again. We must teach... Learn and live the whole Bible and not just the portions of it that we like. Hmm. Becoming a disciple and making disciples are in the Bible. It's in the scriptures. And we are commanded as disciples of Jesus Christ to make other disciples of Christ. Commanded. Okay, nobody said amen, so you don't believe it. Teaching, learning, and living the whole Bible is a must. We should just we we should not just pick out the portions of it we like. For we do ourselves a disservice and others a disservice if we just pick out the portion of scriptures we like and teach about them and, and obey them and and, and 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 have other people to Follow them. If that's what we're doing, we're doing ourselves and we're doing others a disservice. I was talking to somebody the other day and we were just talking about a lot of different things. And I was explaining to him 
why a lot of false religion got started. So people might ask you a lot of times, man, you know, y'all Christian people got so many different sects of Christianity. What's up with that? And most religion kind of have that. But here is what I'm trying to get at. Christianity has so many different versions of it to man, because not to God, uh, has so many versions of it because man will follow a certain portion of God's teaching. And then when the hard part of it come, we say, I don't like that. So we follow it up to all the points of what we like and what we agree with. And as soon as a hard portion of scripture comes up, that we don't like, we start to say, we start questioning the teacher first, and then we start to say, that's not what it means. And before you know it, we have started something different. So we took what we like from the scriptures that go along with how we think and how we feel, and then we start to add on more of what we think and what we feel because we didn't like that portion of the scriptures. That's how all the different sects of religion start. Because we don't want to submit totally and completely to all of this. We like some of it. Because some of it say you're going to be blessed. Some of it say you can be healed. Some of it say you can be healed, can be saved. Some of it say all kind of good things. But there are some portions of it that God is saying some hard things. And we come up against those things and we said, don't like that too much. And before you know it, you'll slow down coming to church because the preacher said it. I don't know if he got his life all together. He he ain't no real preacher because I heard this about him and I heard that about him. And all of that is only because he spoke something out of this that wasn't good for you. And before you know it, you're trying to find some place that does not teach or preach this or does not go against how you feel about this. And so what I've been teaching about in making disciples, a lot of churches don't want to claim it because it's a kind of challenging thing. Don't want to claim it. We want to claim Christianity of being blessed and highly favored. I can't tell you how this thing rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know if it's just me and I don't know why I allow it to rub me the wrong way. How God is so good to all of us. And we love to say how good he is to all of us. But when he requires us to do some things, all of a sudden, he ain't that good. That rubs me the wrong way. There is nothing that the Lord is going to ask me to do that I'm going to say, Lord, you've been good to me. But that right there, I don't know if I can do that. And we might not say it like that with our mouth, but our life sure do say that. Yeah, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to. And as soon as he... Ask us something difficult all of a sudden now. It's the, same, it's the thing that goes on in the church where we talk about holiness, that women and men need to dress a certain way, need to have a certain lifestyle. As soon as we start preaching about that, all of a sudden the church don't want to hear that. Why? Because that's a hard thing. But you ain't saying that's a hard thing when you've been healed from cancer because God healed you. You ain't saying that's a hard thing when the preacher said, come up, let me lay hands on you and you get delivered. You ain't asking those questions. All you want to know is that God do good for you, but what is our good that we're doing for him? What is What are we doing for him? Because all he wants to do is save the world. That's all the Lord wants to do is save the world. What are we doing for him if that's what he wants? 
All we want to communicate is about how good God is. I know he good. He's sweet. Sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb. Love us more than we love ourselves. I got all that. But all I know is, church, anybody that's that good to me, every once in a while, don't I got to show them that I really appreciate how good they've been to me? Right? If somebody's been that good to me, then I want them to know, I really do appreciate you. You are so good. And not just with lip service. With some action. You've been good to me. And I need you to know that. Mother's Day is coming up. This is why we're in a lot of trouble. Many of us, by right, by right, will do something nice for our mother. Why? Man, that woman carried me. Man, that's my mother. I only have one mother. And we go on and on why we should do something nice for our mother Mother's Day. 100% accurate. Have your mother done what Jesus has done for you? So what are we doing for him? What are we doing for him? We're going to bring flowers to our mothers. We're going to take them out to the restaurant to eat. We're going to do all these great things, which is right. But what are we doing for Jesus? I don't know. This has gotten a hold of me. The whole Bible must be preached. The whole Bible must be learned. The whole Bible must be obeyed and lived. We can't just select what we want out of it and say, yeah, yeah, God is good. The truth is that if we neglect to teach, watch this. This is important. If, if, if we neglect to teach financial stewardship, we are not only circumventing our responsibility, but we are also denying ignorant or disobedient members in our congregations, the opportunity to live a financially blessed life. If I never come up here and tell you, the Lord Jesus says that we must bring ye our tithes and offering into the storehouse. Tithe is 10% of everything that you earn, and the Lord says bring it into his house. Tithes and offering, whatever you feel like you need to give, the Lord said bring that into the storehouse and prove me, see if I won't Pour you out a blessing that you will not have room enough to receive. If I don't teach that, then I do myself a disservice, and I do you a disservice, and I do the church a disservice. And so I must teach you the principles of giving. But that's just one thing in the Bible. I can't get up here always telling you about giving and never talk about making disciples. Listen to me. There is no greater joy in the world than taking responsibility to facilitate the spiritual birth and maturity of others. If you ever make up in your mind that you will, you, you, you cannot die and leave this world until you make a disciple. If you make that declaration to the Lord, say, Lord, I don't want to die. You, you, don't kill me, don't allow me to die until I make a disciple. Then if after I make a disciple, you're ready to take me, then okay. But don't let me die until I make a disciple. Because it will be the greatest joy you will experience while you're walking this earth. Christ's call to go make disciples is not for the faint of heart. 
right from the start, it is possible to either qualify or not qualify at being his disciple. I'll qualify that. Jesus placed expectations upon his disciples. In fact, you could say that he was intense about the qualifications he required. You know what I love about the Lord? The qualifications that he gives us is not due to talents or abilities or giftings. <laughs> you know how they say it doesn't require talent to show respect. It doesn't require talent to be on time. These are some of the things, if you would kind of quantify them, what the Lord is trying to show us. Like, what I'm asking you to do to qualify you to make disciples has nothing to do with ability. Has nothing to do with talent. It's just things that you are able to do that when I created you, you're able to do. So don't think I'm trying to disqualify you because you don't have the ability. I'm not disqualifying you because you need some more training. No, no, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm asking you to do is just something that's already in you that you have that you can do. The good news about qualifications to make a disciple, the good news is Jesus is not asking us to become everything he wants us to become immediately. He lays out the expectations, but he is not saying you have to become that immediately. He is not asking us that's a babe in Christ to now start making disciples because you're not even a disciple yet. So he is calling us to become disciples and then after we become disciples, we go and make disciples of Christ. So he's not telling us, oh, you need to be this and you need to be that immediately. No. He's asking us to be this and that gradually. Jesus was the greatest speaker, motivator, and recruiter the world has ever seen. But unlike some of our leaders who attempt to get a new company or venture started, Jesus did not use the bait and switch tactics. Whatever he promised us, that's what it was. He never made us a promise and then tried to switch it up on us. In John chapter 6, verse 53, the scripture says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, watch this now, heavy stuff, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, had eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father had sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of his bread shall live forever. Some people take that to mean he was talking about the supper, the last supper, or, 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 or communion. But 
if you study it closely, that's not what he was really talking about. What he was really talking about is when you partake in me fully, then you will become like me. Then you will live like me. As a matter of fact, I pulled some scripture up in Ezekiel, Ezekiel that I feel might make more sense. So in, e- in Ezekiel chapter 3, I believe this is more feasible to this text than anything else. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse number 1, the scripture says, the prophet says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, Eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was my mouth as honey for sweetness. What Jesus wants us to understand is when you eat the word, when, when, when you read the word intently and meditate and digest the word and let the word go into your heart and go into your mind, when you do that, you will then become like Jesus because anything you eat, it, it, uh, it gets to become a part of you. And when you eat the word of God, it becomes a part of you. But we can't just eat the portion of the word that we like. Some of us like beef and we don't like chicken. Some of us like chicken and we don't like beef. Some of us are vegan. Some of us like seafood. And so we only eat what we like. But in the word of God, we cannot just eat what we like. We have to eat the entire roll. And when we eat it, it becomes a part of us. And then we can do what it says we need to do because it's now a part of us. Notice the reaction to his call to commitment. Because really, when you read all of that, that's what it's laying out. Commitment. Jesus is big on commitment. Jesus is big in commitment. That's, I heard a lady said this. I ain't going to call her name because if I call her name, y'all will know her. But boy, she lit a fire in me when she said this. She said, when you get married, you make a commitment. She said, It's interesting how some people, they they like to say their own vows now. Nowadays, people are coming up with their own vows. Preacher, I need to have you here, but let, we we came up with our own vows. And this preacher's wife said, you know why y'all coming up with your own vows? Because they easier to break. She said, the word of God says, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. And she was just running it down like this is what God's words say. And those are strong commitment. But when y'all come up with y'all little fuzzy little feel good vows, those are easy to break. We don't like the strong, intense words that God used. But sometimes the strong, intense words have to be used. And we don't like that. Because we only want to eat what we like. 
Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Jesus said, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And they was complaining. And Jesus says, does this offend you? <laughs> From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. We're still doing that today. We're still doing that today. A lot of churches have decided some of the sayings that Jesus said is hard, so they're going to stop saying those things and preaching those things so more people can come to their church. What is, I wonder, how do we arrive at that, that we are trying to get a lot of people in the church? Where is that our responsibility to get a lot of people in the church? That's not our responsibility. Jesus didn't tell us to fill up the church. Jesus said to preach the gospel. And so man has decided that if they fill up the church, it looks like they're doing their job. Says who? Because we as preachers, we are working for Jesus. We're not working for ourselves. We're not working for our brothers. We're working for Jesus. And so filling up the church does not mean success. Preaching the gospel, being faithful, and being committed to what God has called us to do, that's what we're supposed to do. And so we start deviating from all of this hard teaching because you, trust me, the next couple of days, go on YouTube. Don't put in nothing apostolic. Just go on YouTube and, and put in, you know, good preaching. And you won't hear hard things like this because we have decided that, man, you can't be preaching that stuff. Ain't nobody going to be in the church if you preach that. Well, so be it. So be it. Take that up with the master because it's his word and I don't have a choice. But people hear the hard saying and they turn away from God. They got to go find some place where the saying is not as hard. It's a little bit more conducive to my lifestyle. Here is what Jesus understood about his mission and the kind of people he needed to get the job done. Until he preached commitment, he would never know who was his audience. Jimmy Tony told me a, a while back, this is interesting, I, I thank God for the people that's in my life. Jimmy Tony going to preach our building dedication. He told me a long time, he said, preacher, when God is getting ready to take the church to a new level, preach holiness, preach one God, preach baptism in Jesus' name, preach the infilling of the Holy Ghost, because you will know who is with you and who's not. <laughs> I got some good people in my life that I thank God for. That's why I'm probably still standing here today. Because I get some great advice. Got good men that I know that I really rely on, really depend on. He said, don't worry about who stays and who leaves. Just preach holiness, righteousness. Preach baptism in Jesus' name. One God. Preach um, infilling of the Holy Ghost. Whenever you know God is doing something, preach that. Because the ones that's with you, they'll stay. And the ones that's not with you, they're going to go. When a pastor fails to preach commitment, he is doing Christ, the mission of Christ, ourselves and our audience a disservice. 
People don't like to hear commitment. Because commitment start to mess with your schedule. Commitments or commitment begin to mess with your schedule. And I've said this long time ago and I will keep saying it again. If you will make Jesus first, he will make your schedule work just right for you. But if you want to make your schedule first, you're going to always feel like you're struggling and pushing and always trying to get it done. It's always hard work. For 27 years, I've been at the one job and I've been leaving the job on breaks to go baptize people in Jesus name. I've been leaving the job to go to the hospital and pray for people. I've been leaving the job to do a lot of Jesus things because he was always first. You know how I put him first? However long ago it was, 1996, going on 1999, when I had three jobs, three jobs, three jobs I had. I don't know what y'all doing today, but I had three jobs. And when I started feeling the touch of God in a strong way, the only way I could have committed myself the way the Lord was bringing me to commit myself, I had to quit two of the jobs. The two jobs that I quit was the two jobs that paid me the most. The third job was the job that paid me the least, but that's the job that allowed me to commit my life to God. And so I decided I got to close my eyes real tight, as the old people say. Just close your eye real tight and just go with the job that paid me the least that allowed me the opportunity to be committed to God. Twenty-seven years later, what a decision. Oh, my goodness. There are some major decisions in our life that we have no clue they're major decisions until later on. And I can look back now 27 years later in 1996 that, my Lord, when I made that decision to live that life, when I made that decision to say, I want more than anything else to be available for God than I want to do anything else, Man, oh man, 27 years later, and I have the liberty to do a whole lot of stuff while I'm working. I go on trips for the Lord while I'm, on the, I'm, I'm working because I'm mobile all day, every day. My manager knows it. My, every once in a while he says, what, he says to me not long ago, what days do you have Bible study? I said, well, we used to have it on Thursday, but now we have it on Wednesday. He said, all right, I won't schedule no meetings on Wednesdays. That's my boss, 27 years later. So I'm telling you, we're busy trying to rearrange our schedule to fit what God is asking us. How about you put him first, like he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And when you put him first, then you don't have to worry about your schedule anymore. But that sound like, what does that sound like to you? That just sound like foreign. You're saying, what are you talking about, preacher? That's foreign. <laughs> but it's okay. We'll get there. If we will just trust the Lord, we will get there. Bible mad because preaching the word of God, all of a sudden, iPad just, the scripture that I was on just disappeared. Don't matter to me. Not getting off it. I don't know what it thinks. I'm not getting off it. Please. Not getting off it. So we will get there. And so we are. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> This is very interesting to me. All right. I'm there again. And so the Lord will say some hard sayings to us. That becomes a challenge. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? And so we cannot fail to preach the hard things. We cannot fail to preach the hard things. There is a price to pay 
for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The price begins with coming out of the world and giving up sin. Giving up addiction. Giving up practices that would only condemn us in eternity anyway. But the real price that we have to pay begins when we initiate interaction with others who need salvation through Christ and invest our lives, our lives in spiritual journey. I got I to tell your business a little bit, Sister Jackson. So Sister Jackson trying her best to listen to the preacher. So she'd been witnessing to somebody. And so the person decides she want to come to church Sunday. But the person threw a curveball to Sister Jackson. The person said, all right, I'll come to church Sunday. But I'm going to have to hang with you from the morning time you come and pick me up till 9 at night. 9 p.m. at night. From the morning time till 9 p.m. at night. I kind of laughed under my breath when Sister Jackson told me because all I was saying in my mind, discipleship. That's the cost we pay. And we don't even understand this. We just want to live our good life. It's Mother's Day Sunday. And so she want to do Mother's Day things. She's going to have to bring her person right along with her. That's what I'm trying to get through to us that we're not seeing. That we just think, oh, my life is great. God has blessed me. Blah, 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 blah. No, he's calling us to pay a price. So why you want your life to be cushiony and everything good? No, there's going to be times where you're going to have to be uncomfortable and stretch yourself and do things that you did not want to do. That's called making disciples. If she wants that woman to be saved, she better do it. But if she wanted to just be comfortable and keep living her Christian life and come in here Sunday and shout and, oh, God is good, and go home and put her foot up like, man, church was good today. If that's what you want, then tell a lady, I'm sorry I can't pick you up because, you know, I, I just got things to do. Because that's what some of us would do. Mm-hmm. It is easier to travel alone without being burdened by the added weight of the disciples we are trying to carry. We can journey much faster alone without having to wait for new believers to catch up with all the baggage they carry. Making disciples on the road to heaven is not the easy way, yet this is the pace that the Lord Jesus Christ called us to embrace. Disciples make disciples. Dogs don't make cats. Dogs make dogs. Cats make cats. Rabbits make rabbits. People make people. But disciples make disciples. <laughs> the core idea of Christianity is not to be a church member, but to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? It means to pattern your life after the life of the man named Jesus Christ, who is Almighty God manifest. We do not get to cherry pick what is desirable about Jesus' example and ignore the rest. We can't be cherry picking his life. Ooh, I like when he just spoke the word and people got healed. We like that. I like when he went into the temple and flipped over the tables and the money changers. Well, what about when he was in the garden praying till his sweat became his blood? Do you like that part? 
because we're called to do all of that. <laughs> Saying we are a disciple of Christ is one thing. Actually being a disciple of Christ by mimicking him is a whole different thing. If we're disciples, we ought to be disciples in word and in deed, not just in word. I'm almost done. Watch this. Someone once asked a weightlifter, what did he do with all his muscles? He immediately went into a typical weightlifting pose and flexed. Mm. The person asked the question, was so annoyed, but they tried again, saying, no, 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 no. I mean, what do you do with all those muscles? Mm. He posed again. That's about right. We pose and flex our Pentecostal power of prayer, our Pentecostal praise, our Pentecostal worship, our Pentecostal preaching on Sundays, but do nothing to make disciples Monday through Saturday. I'm a Christian. Oh, I can shout. Oh, I prayed somebody through to the Holy Ghost. Oh, the music was so good. The preaching was so good. That's all, mm, that's all flexing. All of what we do when we come in this, these four walls, all flexing. All we're doing is flexing. Because Jesus called us to make disciples. We can't just flex. We got to make disciples. Jesus' priority was to seek and to save the lost. His method to do so was to make disciples out of sinners and friends. So what was the priority for Jesus' followers? What did he want them to take away from his time here on earth? His priority was for his followers to become his disciples and then for them to turn around and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus has called us to be his disciples by following him and therefore he has sent us to go and make disciples. While he was on earth, he made disciples. So it's incumbent upon us to go and make disciples if we're going to be like him. In Luke 9, 23, the scripture says, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? What did Jesus mean in Luke 9 and 23 when he required his disciples to deny themselves and to take up their cross and follow him? This may be one of the most misunderstood commands of Jesus. The word deny means to resist, reject, or refuse. To deny yourself does not mean to deny your appearance. 
It does not mean to deny your DNA, your pedigree, your career, your emotions, or even your intelligence. That's not what he's talking about. Denying yourself simply means, ready, to dethrone yourself as Lord of your own life. Denying yourself means to dethrone yourself as Lord over your own life. What does that mean? When you give your life to Christ, you are no longer the shot caller in your own life. We give our life to Christ and we still the shot caller. Oh, you really didn't give your life to Christ. I love how people like to say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior. They might as well cut out the Lord part and just say, I just want to thank my Savior. Because most people are living their Christian life as Jesus being the Savior of their life. That's it. Because all you needed him to do, save me, Lord. And so he saved us, and that's all we need him for. And every once in a while we say, well, bless me, Lord. So we want him to save us, and we want him to bless us. But we don't want him to tell us nothing about our life, because we are the lords of our life. If you are the Lord of your life, you still haven't submitted your life to Christ. Mm-hmm. You got to dethrone yourself. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must first be willing to pray, my kingdom go. You can't pray, thy kingdom come, if your kingdom is still ruling in your life. Your kingdom is what you say go. That's your kingdom. That's your rulership. And Jesus' rulership cannot take place in your life until you say, my kingdom, my lordship, my rulership of my life, it has to go so the king of kings and the lord of lords can rule and reign in my life. Hard sayings. Hard sayings. But we have to learn how to start living those two. We can't just live, bless me, oh Lord, bless me. We can't just live, oh God has been good. Oh, we can't just live those things. We have to live the hard things too. They must be lived too. (laughs) Perhaps the power of the idea of denying ourselves has been diminished by misunderstanding of what it means to take up our cross. Anyone carrying a cross in first century Judea, I like this, check this out. Anyone carrying a cross in first century Judea knew that the day was not going to end well. A criminal who was carrying his cross knew he was a dead man or at least he would be within a few hours. When you read the Bible, you have to begin to ask God, show me a a, a more in-depth understanding. Because you've got to remember that the Bible was written from a from from a uh, a Middle Eastern standpoint, and so because they crucified criminals during that time, they were able to put this kind of text in the Bible: "Pick up your cross and follow me." But they knew what they were alluding to. We in the West are saying, "What does that really mean anyway?" And so we have a lot of preachers that have come up with a lot of you know smart things about what it means to pick up your cross and follow. But it's because we never thought about it from the context of why they even came up with that kind of teaching anyway. Why that, was that even mentioned? But it's because they're thinking about their culture. And that's why it was mentioned. So a criminal who was carrying his own cross, he knew 
He was dead. He was a dead man, or at least he would be dead within a few hours. And had abundant, uh, abandoned all earthly hope. So when a criminal had his cross, because he was getting ready to go get crucified, he was carrying his cross. If somebody came to him and says, I got a million dollars, he would have been like, whatever. Somebody would have came to him and says, hey, I got this pretty girl over here, she like you, whatever. No matter what you would have tried to get the man to focus on, he would not have focused on it because his life was doomed. He knew he was, you know, when somebody convicts a criminal in our society, judge hit the gavel, he says, you know, guilty, and they take him away to go serve his time. No matter what, nobody can stop that. They got all the police officers, the sheriff, and they take that criminal away, and nobody can stop it. Well, that was the same for somebody that was carrying their cross. He was a done deal. He was carrying his cross because he was going to die. So because he was going to die, nothing that you could offer him would make any sense to him. Because it was nothing for him to, be, to, to, to have because he was dead man walking. He had nothing. He was not going to have anything. And so this is the idea behind take up your cross and follow me. And so he had nothing. In this command, Jesus was calling his disciples to think of themselves as dead to this world along with all their worldly hopes, ambitions, and dreams, and allow the plans, hopes, and dreams of Jesus Christ to arise within them. I say this from time to time when I'm talking to people, and they think I'm a little crazy for saying it, but I say it like this. For where I am today in life, if I die right now, I am an overachiever. If I die right now, I am an overachiever. Why you say that, preacher? I don't, you know, you know it, I, I'm sure there's more for you to do. Because in growing up, I never thought about being a man of God, a preacher, and being able to help other people get saved. I have overachieved. That was never in my thinking. It was never in my prayer view. It was never something I thought I could do or I wanted to do. That was never anything. So now that it has happened, Life has superseded my expectation. I don't know about yours. Life has superseded my expectation because I never thought about this. Some of you, like some of my children, you were born into this. This was always what you know, great, and that's fantastic, and you can get a vision from God about what you can do for God. That wasn't me. And so how I envisioned my life was a whole different thing than what I'm living today. And what I'm living today... There is nothing that can compare what I could have done that could be better than this life. I have overachieved. Don't need nothing else to happen in my life to say, oh, if I can just do this. No, I have already overachieved. Because God has worked in my life in a way that I would never have thought about that could happen to me. What did Jesus mean in Matthew 16, 25 when he says, For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's simple. When we find our lives in the context of this world and do not follow Christ, we will ultimately lose everything. Everything. Listen. What's his name? Jeff Bezos. Warren Buffett. You keep naming them. When they die, they lose everything. 
They lose everything. When they die, they don't have anything. And if they did not have Christ, they're really in trouble. When a Christian die, they just go on to greater. Because as a Christian, we're supposed to be living a great life. And when we die, we live an even greater life. That's what Christianity is supposed to be about. It might not seem like a great life to you if you're not enjoying making disciples. But if you enjoy making disciples, you'll know this is a great life. I talked to a good friend of mine today. And he just was talking to me about, man, I appreciate you and I thank you for what you have done for me and how you have helped me where I am today. That's the greatest life you can ever live when it, when it comes on to somebody living for God. When you have helped somebody to know Jesus and live for Jesus, you have done the greatest that you can do in this world and outside of this world. Let me finish up here. However, when we lose that life and give it up for Christ's sake by investing all we are and have for his gospel's sake, we, we will find our purpose and abundant life in Christ. Simply put, we will have a great life here on earth and even a greater life when we step into eternity. You can't lose when you give up your life for Christ's sake. And so I close with this. So how do we know if we qualify to be a disciple of Jesus Christ today? How do we know? I think this question can be answered by asking, who is your disciple? All of us in here, ask yourself, who is your disciple? Believers whose lives are invested daily in the lives of sinners and friends, in an attempt to make disciples out of them, qualify as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know you're a, if you're a disciple of Christ, look and see if you're investing your life daily into your friends and into sinners' life to help them become a child of God. That's how you know if you're a disciple of Christ. Those who are daily living out their lives intentionally with others in mind and are building relationships with lost people and have denied themselves, taken up their cross and demonstrated that they are willing to forsake all to follow in his footsteps have achieved the biblical distinction of 21st century discipleship or disciple-making for Jesus Christ. And so I ask you today, are you willing to pay the price of discipleship? Or will we just continue to enjoy the goodness that God has to offer us and just keep on singing and dancing and shouting and praising and saying God is good? Or will we just begin to make disciples as he have asked us? Let's stand. We need to go to the Lord for just a couple of minutes. And examine ourselves before him concerning making disciples of Christ. Are we just going to keep living the traditional Christian life? Or are we going to step up to the plate and live the life that he's called us to live by making disciples of Jesus Christ? Father, in the name of Jesus, your word is going out.
You have convicted our hearts. You have corrected our views. You have helped us to see what it is that you're calling us and asking us to see. Lord, we know your love. We know you love us more than we can ever love ourselves. We know that you have given and sacrificed all so we can have eternal life. There's no questioning about what you have done for us, what you continue to do for us. But Lord, we're here tonight understanding that we have not done what you've called us to do. Lord, we have, some of us have dibble and dabble a little bit. Some of us have tried. Some of us have done a little. But God, to live that life of making disciples every day, every day, we have not fully done that, Lord. So we've come tonight, Lord Jesus, to say, will you help us? First of all, Lord, take out of our heart whatever that's in us that prevents us from loving the mission of Jesus Christ. That prevents us from being passionate about the mission of Jesus Christ. To seek and to save that which is lost. To make disciples of men. Father, will you give us a heart that is like yours. Where, Lord, we will seek to save, help to save and to seek to Oh God, make disciples of Christ. Oh God, let not this word escape us. Let our minds not go away from us, but Lord, bind the word of God upon our mind, upon our heart, and let it go into our belly, Lord God, where, Lord Jesus, we can digest it and become doers of it. Ah, my God, I pray and ask that your will be done. I pray and ask, Almighty God, that you help us, Lord, to fulfill our purpose to fulfill our, 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 our call in you, Lord God. Will you have your way tonight that we will realize the price it will cost us to make disciples. Remove from us all selfishness. Remove from us, almighty God, all that keeps us bound, Lord God. Help us to be liberated to, Lord, know that when we live for you and do your will, that's when we are completely liberated. Help us tonight, Lord God, that we will not leave this place the same way we came in, but that we will leave, Lord God, with a mindset has, that has been changed, with a mindset that now, Lord God, is different than what we came in with. And we can be focused and be intentional in doing what you call us to do. I pray, Lord, that you will work in us and through us for every person that is here tonight, Lord God. Somebody hear me tonight. God says, cast all your cares upon him because he careth. And as long as we're worrying about the things that are going on in our life, we cannot be disciple makers. Jesus says, cast your care upon him because he careth for you. And when you cast your care upon him, he will give you his burden. He will yoke himself up with you for his yoke is easy. His burden is light and we will go forward in him and do his will. Hear from the Lord tonight somebody. God says don't you worry about your problems. Don't you worry about your situation. But hear my word and go make disciples. I will take care of your problems. I will take care of your situations. I will handle them. I will 
deal with all situations. If you will seek my kingdom first, if you will do what I command you to do, I will help you in everything else. Will you trust my word tonight? Will you yield to my word tonight? Will you become a doer of my word tonight? I want to give you a life that is above, that is beyond your understanding and your expectation. But you got to hear me and do what I command you to do because I am your God. I brought you out of the miry. I set you forth and I establish you. Oh, hear my word and do what I command you to do. I want to give you great and mighty things. Oh, Father, have your way tonight. Bless and strengthen your people like you've never done, Lord God, that we will go forward and make disciples in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Let's, let us thank him tonight and give him praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, open up your mouth and just give the Lord some adoration and praise. Open up your mouth and bless his name. The Lord is good. His mercy everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Have a great rest of your night. Offering basket is in the back. Please give to the building fund. We appreciate all that you do. In Jesus' name.